You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So um, let's go to Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on uh, the preaching of his word today. Jesus, Jesus, we just ask that you would, by the power of the Spirit, um, that you would just come now that you would just be tangibly present um, in our presence. Father, that you would help our hearts to be receptive to what your word says, that you would speak the words of life to us today, that your word would bring healing where there is woundedness and brokenness inside of us, that your word would draw us, invite us, welcome us into repentance where there is sin and rebellion deep inside of us, And that your word would encourage us where we are discouraged and walking in despair. Father, I pray that the preaching of your word today would just produce fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would would come uh, tangibly in contact with the power of your presence in such a way that our lives would be radically transformed and changed as we leave here. Father, I know that you know each and every person's heart. Your word says that you know how many hairs each one of us has on our heads. So Lord, into the midst of that tension of of you knowing all things and me not knowing very much, we step into the preaching of your word. And Father, I pray that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and that you would use them, cause them, direct them, guide them for the good of your people and for your own glory. God, I pray that you would do that. Trust that you will do that through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So here's the thing. Things that need power don't operate at their fullest potential when they aren't connected to a power source. Capiche? <laughs> Things that need power don't operate at their fullest potential when they aren't connected to a power source. Like, think about it, what happens when something is disconnected from its power source? If you think about a house for a minute, in a house, when it's disconnected from its power source, the lights go off, and if you're in that house, you wind up living in darkness, right? That's what happens. Or if you're on a construction site, I used to do construction uh, before going into vocational ministry, and on a construction site, if the uh, power goes out, then production ceases, right? Things stop getting built, Things just kind of become complacent and stay at the place that they're currently at. They don't progress forward. When you think about a car, I've worked on a few cars in my life, most of them Fords. Um, a car's engine, got nothing out of that. Come on. Some of them Dodges, some of them Chevys. All right, so y'all love Chevys, Fords, and Dodges, then I guess, right? So anyways, I've worked on some cars before, and when the battery goes dead in a car, what happens? The engine stops running, Right? Um, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to stall out in the middle of the road. You're going to be stuck there. You're stuck there. It's not going to move. Not going to go anywhere. Um, and the same is true with people, right? Same is true with people. When, for me, when I'm running on empty, when I'm, if, I'm, if I'm running um, um, with, with a lack of power or a lack of strength in my life, um, then I find myself doing all sorts of crazy things. I start looking for love in all the wrong places. I think that's an old country western song. Um, I find it hard to love people around me. That probably is a country western song too. Um, 
and then when you reversed it, you got it all back. Anyways, I, 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 I also, I search for happiness. Like, I search for happiness in, in like, momentary pleasures, right? Like, I see something's going to make me happy right now momentarily, and I don't want it right now, so I go after it, and I get it, and I'm happy momentarily. But then what happens is I sacrifice true, lasting, eternal joy for that moment of happiness in that momentary pleasure, right? I get robbed of true joy. I just get stuck in that cycle, right? Or I, or I live in, an, uh, in a state of anxiety instead of peace. I snap at people, right? Some of you, I'm sure, have been on the receiving end of that. Snap at people with my words. Um, and my, my, my words wind up reflecting a real hurried, kind of in a hurry, impatient, a mean, gruff, maybe, tone, rather than a patient or a kind tone. Um, sometimes when this happens, I hear my dad voice comes out. My dad voice is a good voice. Don't knock it. <laughs> and that wasn't even close to my dad voice, apparently. Um, uh, I begin to entertain sinful thoughts um, inside of my head or my heart. Uh, instead of thoughts that are full of the goodness of God, right? Or I become inconsistent in my life instead of faithful and trustworthy. I become harsh and demeaning or belittling with my words instead of gentle, compassionate with my words. I, I, I sometimes then, if I'm running on empty, not connected to true power, I, I live in this perpetual state of like churning and chaos instead of this like spirit-led self-control, right? You ever... Ever experienced any of this? Anybody else here with me? Raise your hand if you're with me so I know I'm not alone. Great, I'm glad. Thank you. Um, when the gauges of my heart, when you think about your heart, think about the gate, these like gauges like on the dashboard of a car that tell you whether it's running good or not running good, when the gauges of my heart run in the red like this, then I know that my, my heart is not being connected to a, a life-giving power source, right? It's like the lights go off. And I wind up living in darkness. It's like the production of godly character in my life stops, right? Stalls out. Like the engine of my soul stops running in the right direction. Anybody else ever experienced this? And there's one author that I was reading as I studied. He makes this statement. It's just, a, for me, it was a phenomenal statement. Uh, the love that motivates us is the power that drives us. Like, just let that sink in for a minute. Like, I sat there and thought about that for a long time. The love that motivates us is the power that drives us. See, when the, when the love within me is corrupted, then the power that drives my life is corrupted, and what gets produced in my life is corruption, right? Another way of saying it is, when what you love is rotten, then the fruit of your life will be what? Rotten, right? And what, what we need is to be connected, or you, you could say plugged in to a life-giving power source. What we, need, what we need is to pray, right? We need to pray that our Heavenly Father would help us to believe in His power, and that He would, that he would fill us with His power, and that He would help us to live from the deep reservoir of His power. That's what we need to pray for. That's exactly what Paul prays for in our passage today. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Look what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit 
in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So be it, right? And last week in verses 14 and 15, as we studied this, we we learned that your posture in prayer is rooted in the reasons you pray and the person you pray to. See, when Paul prays in this passage, he prays because he wants the Ephesians to catch this vision, this picture of of who they actually are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but he also wants them to know the same Father he is praying to. He doesn't want them to know a false representation of the Father. He wants them to know the same authentic, true Father that he is praying to. It can be so easy for us to fall into despair. So easy to fall into despair when you or I realize that we have an identity crisis. When you realize that you've forgotten who you really are, you're not living out who God says you really are, it can be really easy to fall into despair or depression maybe, get really hard on yourself. It can be really easy to get stuck like a car with a dead battery, trying to like force yourself into the image of who God says you are. Well, God says I'm this. I've been acting like this, so I want to stuff myself into this new box, right? It's called legalism. That's what happens for us. And it's so easy. I'm just going to make this happen in my life, make myself become that person, and then you just get, you get stuck, right? You realize that's not sustainable. I can't stuff myself in that box or make myself become that person. So then I'm just going to go back to who I was before, and then I'm back to this. I mean, it's just, it just out of control, right? The problem is actually deeper than that, though. The problem is deeper than that, just what we know to be true or untrue about ourselves. Because at the root of this problem for us, this identity issue, is that we struggle with believing that God actually loves us. Okay? We struggle to believe that he actually loves us. We we find it hard to believe that he actually looks upon us with joy. Think about that. If you trusted in Christ and the truth is that God's seen songs of joy over you, and it's hard for us to receive it, hard for us to believe that when it matters most, right? We, we struggle to believe that if God were to walk in the room right now, that he would actually be peaceful with us. Hard to believe that he would actually be patient with us or kind to us. Sometimes we believe that God isn't good because the Circumstances of our lives aren't that good, so God must not be that good. Sometimes I think it's hard to believe that God would be faithful to us or even gentle with us. Like, like would God really be gentle with us when he walks in the room right now? Like, what picture do you have of God and what 
what he would do if he were to walk in here, sit down at the table with you? Would he, would he be gentle? How often do you catch yourself questioning? Man, I just think God would come in and just like tear the place apart. He flipped tables, right? Because he's mad at us. And we love to quote that passage, right? <laughs> Usually in reference to other churches or other people, but uh, we sit around tables. So what would we think God would do? Would, we, would he be gentle? What would he do when he came in here? It might be easier to believe that God would lose his control, lose his cool if he walked into this room, right? Our, our identity crisis is not necessarily rooted in our unbelief about who we are. Our identity crisis in what we believe about who we are is actually rooted in what we believe about who God is. That's the root underneath all of it. See, who you believe God is results in who you believe you are, which then results in what you will do with your life. You can just trace that fruit to the root and the root back to the fruit. It's a great analogy. And I have to be thankful to one of our external elders for giving me that. Um, and actually, it's a book written by uh, Jeff Vanderstelt. That guy is smart, smart. Fruit to the root and then root back up to the fruit again. At the bottom of that, it's, it's our unbelief in God. And hasn't this always been Satan's tactic anyways? You think about Satan for a minute. Isn't this what he's always been after? Isn't this what, what he ultimately wanted in the garden? Uh, isn't that why he questioned Eve regarding what God had really said? Do, do you really think that the Satan was after Eve's identity, or was he really after the identity of God? I think he was trying to get Eve to question whether God is really good or not. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? Like Satan will spend a little bit of time getting you to question yourself and doubt yourself and be hard on yourself. But don't miss this. Satan's end game has less to do with you and far more to do with God. Satan's not at war with you per se. Really. Satan's really not at war with you and I per se. Satan is actually at war with the God that lives inside of you if you belong to God. It's, it's God's glory that Satan is after, not yours and mine. He could care less about our glory. What he's concerned about is God's glory. So, if Satan can convince you that God isn't a loving God, then he wins, right? Ultimately, Satan doesn't win. We know that he loses, but... In the moment, in the right here, in the right now, Satan wins. In the right here, in the right now, if he can convince you that God is not loving, or if he can convince you that God isn't a joyful God, or a peaceful God, or a patient God, a kind God, a, a good God, a trustworthy God, a gentle God, right? Or, or God who's in control. Like, how could God be in control when that horrible thing happened in my life when I faced that suffering? If he can get you to question God in those moments and who he is, Satan wins in those moments. He can keep you in the dark regarding the nature of who God is. He can keep you in the dark regarding the nature of what God has actually done or is doing or is going to do for you, then Satan wins. You'll live your life in the dark. You'll live your life in low production mode. You'll live your life in like weak mode, right? You'll live your life without power. Ultimately, you'll live your life without fruit. Without fruit. God hasn't left you alone there, though. That's the great news. Great news is God has not left you and I alone there. In verse 16, which is where we're going to root our time together today, Paul prays to the Father of heaven and earth, so that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. See, Paul knows that the Ephesians will face their own weakness. He knows that. 
He knows that they will struggle with being weak in the face of persecution, weak in the face of their struggle with sin, weak when they feel their faith failing, weak when they're faced with temptation, weak when their identity is tested, weak when they're questioned about who God is and what God has done, weak when faced with questioning whether God will actually follow through on his promises. The Ephesian believers... The Ephesian believers were no different than us. And they were human too. We're all human. There's a certain dehumanizing thing that happens when we say that. When we say that we're all human to make an excuse for our sin, I think we dehumanize each other. And we take away the power of the gospel, right? But when we say that, you know what, the Ephesians were human like us, just like we're all human, it's, it's an admission, it's a confession that doesn't leave us powerless. They were human too, man. They would question their identity in Christ. They would struggle to believe whether God was as good or as powerful or as loving as they thought he was. But because of this struggle, man, to believe in who God is, they would struggle with temptation and sin. And what the Ephesians needed the most in these moments was to be connected to true power. They needed to be tapping into true power through their belief in who God really is. See, our power comes from God. Agreed? Our power comes from God. But, but what do we mean when we say that? Just so we're not just like building placards over things, right? What do we really mean when we say that our power comes from God? Number one, Your power comes from the riches of God's glory. Your power comes from the riches of God's glory. Paul prays that you and I would receive power according to the riches of God's glory. The riches of God's glory will will never run out. I can see that the PowerPoint guys are way ahead of me. Just back up like three slides and you'll be there. Oh, all right, we're just stuck there. Missed it then. Sorry, guys. If you have a handout in front of you, if you have a handout in front of you, you'll be able to do it. Oh, it's just track when I say number one, number two, number three, number four, because there's four points. We just got through the introduction, just so you know. So number one, your power comes from the riches. Power comes from the riches. Hey, I did 17 points last week, okay? So just take it easy. Your power comes from the riches of God's glory. Paul prays that you and I would receive power according to the riches of God's glory. Here's the thing. The riches of God's glory will never run out. It will never run out. The riches of God's glory are unlimited. They are endless. But here's a question. I can say all that, right? But how do you make the riches of God's glory seem tangible? How do they become tangible in such a way that it empowers you to live with endurance in the face of what life hurls at you, right? So if you think about my life, the riches of my life are a tangible substance in some way. You walk into my home, you can taste, touch, see the riches of my life. Go to my bank account, pull out what little money I have, and you hold every penny in your hands. And, and you'll be holding the tangible riches of my life, right? Uh, if you look at pictures of my wife or my children, if you meet them in person, then you will experience the tangible presence, you experience the tangible presence of the most valuable riches of my life, this side of heaven, 
And so the riches of my life are tangible, but how do I and you, how do we translate the unlimited riches of God's glory into something tangible that gives you and I the power to live with endurance? Where else can you and I see this power according to the riches of God's glory in a tangible way? I think there's a few places in Scripture that we see this in the grand scheme of the scriptures and you see the riches of God's glory in the creation of the world and all of its inhabitants right step outside and look at creation or or step into a delivery room and see a brand new baby born you can tangibly see the riches of God's glory we see the the riches of God's glory in a tangible way when Christ became fully human while still being fully God. Somewhat unexplainable, but that's a tangible place when you look into the face of Christ, knowing that he's 100% human and 100% God. He's not like half and half cream that you put in your coffee. He's full on, both at the same time, right? It's a tangible place that we look to uh, in Scripture. Um, We see the riches of God's glory in the miracles of Christ. When we read about Jesus bringing people back from the dead or giving sight to the blind or healing the sick. This is this tangible riches of God's glory on display, right? We we see the riches of God's glory in the cross of Christ where he paid the price for sin. We, We see the riches of God's glory in the empty tomb where Christ was victorious over the power of Satan, sin, and the grave. These are all tangible places of God's glory. His glory, the riches of his glory will never run out. The riches of his glory are unlimited and endless. They're made tangible through creation, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Power comes through the riches of God's glory. So what are we left to do? I think what we need to do is pray, right? That's what Paul prays for. Pray that your heavenly Father would help you to believe in his power. Pray that he would fill you with his power. Pray that he would help you to live from the deep reservoir of his power. Number two, your power is granted to you from God. Your power is granted to you from God. Paul prays that God would grant you to be strengthened with power. Here's what Paul doesn't pray. Paul doesn't pray that God would loan you the power you need. Now, I would confess that sometimes when I go to God and pray and ask for power, I see it more like a loan. God, would you just give me the power right now to make it through this? And I'm seeing it more like a loan, like, and then later I'm going to pay that back with interest, right? Through my right living. <sighs> Man, that's not grace. That's not, that's not grace-empowered praying. I fall into that. He doesn't pray that God would loan you the power you need. He prays that God would grant you, the word grant, freely give you the power you need to be strengthened. God's power isn't a loan that you pay back with interest. True power from God is a grant that he gives to you, and it's absolutely free. It costs you nothing. It's a one-way infusion, a one-way investment, not a two-way like, God, you give me this, I give you that, I make deals with you. Yo, you know, like mafia mob bosses or mafia mob bosses, they don't do that. They just off people, right? So <laughs> that's a horrible illustration. <laughs> but you know my love for mafia movies, and so we'll get it in there somehow. 
This is a one-way infusion or investment of God's power to strengthen you when life is hurling curveballs at you. Here's what happens. You and I often trade the free investment of God's power for cheap substitutes. You work hard to make someone love you so you can feel powerful instead of weak or lonely. Work hard to build your portfolio so you can feel powerfully secure instead of weak and insecure. Work, work hard to change your image so you can feel powerfully important, right, instead of weak and unimportant or insignificant and secure. The, the bottom line is that there are a million ways you and I work to produce what God freely gives to us question I asked as I was thinking about this and praying my way through it is, why would I want to trade the free and unlimited power that God offers to me by working to earn broken and cheap imitations of that power? Why, why, why would I want to give up the millions and the trillions and the gazillions and the unsearchable riches of God, like the uncountable riches of God? Why would I want to give that up for something like a penny on the street? Why, why would I do that? Why would I want to do Why would you want to do that? The answer to this question for me, some of you will resonate. I love to prove that I can do it on my own. I, I, I get a thrill out of accomplishing something. I get a thrill, I get a thrill out of being able to say that I beat this thing, right? Or I, I made it through that thing. I get a thrill out of that. Kind of fun, jacked up over it. The problem is, is that my success is a short-lived thrill ride. A short-lived thrill ride. That's not lasting. Those short-lived thrill rides, whenever I take one, <laughs> it reveals my unbelief in God's sustaining power. Deep down inside, I struggle to believe that God's power is, power is enough for me to live with endurance. Like the question is, like, God, is God really powerful? Is God really powerful enough to get you through another lonely night? Is he really powerful enough to get you through the financial pit that you dug for yourself? Is he really powerful enough to help you stand your ground, not only when your children are rebelling, but when everything inside of you wants to rebel? Is God's power enough in those moments? And the overwhelming answer from Scripture is yes, right? Yes, God is more than powerful enough to get you through that lonely night. Yes, God, God is powerful enough to dig you out of your financial ruin. Yes, God is powerful enough to help you stand your ground in the face of rebellion. But sadly, sadly, so I see in my life, sadly, the, the fruit of my life sometimes says something different about what I actually believe. You ever see that in your life? The fruit of your life communicates something different about what you actually believe. Like think, about, <coughs> think about the biblical heroes for a minute. Heroes of the Bible, right? If you're, if you're familiar with the scriptures at all, don't you wish you could be as powerful as they were? Huh? When we look at the biblical heroes like David in front of Goliath, I look at that guy, I get jacked up, right? Like, that guy was a man. I want to be like David, right? <coughs> I want to face down those giants. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the fiery furnace. Yes, O king, go ahead and throw us in there. Our God can rescue us. And if he doesn't, we'll be with God faster then, right? <coughs> I want to be that powerful. I want to be that guy. 
Daniel? Daniel and the lions? Go ahead, throw me to the lions. Whatever. There, I can get. <laughs> Forget about it. I can sit in front of the window and pray all day. All right. Hey, so, Dan would be like Daniel, right? Seems extraordinary to me. Joseph. Think about, my name's Joe. <laughs> Joseph. Joseph, man, he runs from this married woman, right? Runs from her when she comes on to him. Tries to seduce him. He's like, I'm out of here. Boom, gone. That's, I want to be, like, be like Joseph. I want to be like Joseph. Sometimes, um, sometimes we think those people were extraordinary people, right? That's the way we read it. The problem with that interpretation is it's a false interpretation. It places the credit where the credit is not due. Most people were not extraordinary people. They were not extraordinary like Superman, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk. I love the Hulk. They were not extraordinary like them, though. Most people were ordinary people just like you and me. And they struggled with sin, struggled with weakness, struggled with temptation. The real hero of those stories isn't the ordinary people. The real hero in those stories is the extraordinary God who granted ordinary people the power to endure unbelievable opposition with supernatural strength. Do you believe in that God? Or do you just want to be David? Or just want to be Joseph? Because if that's who you strive to be, so to speak, you got to strive to believe in the God that they believed in. Extraordinary God. Do you, do you believe in that God when you're lonely or when you're afraid, when you feel insignificant? What does the fruit of your life prove about the God you actually believe in? God is all-powerful. With God, true power isn't a loan that you pay back with interest. True power from God is a grant that he gives to you, and it's absolutely free. It costs you nothing. It cost him everything when he gave his son at the cross for you and I. That's the kind of power that you and I have available to us is the power of the resurrection. It left the tomb empty. It's a one-way infusion, a one-way investment of the power of God to strengthen you when life is coming against you. Your power is granted to you from God. What do you do now? You pray. Pray like Paul prays. Pray that your heavenly Father would help you to believe in his power. Ask him to fill you with his power. Ask him to help you live from the deep reservoir of his power. And number three, number three, your power comes to you through God's spirit. Your power comes to you through God's spirit. Paul prays that God would strengthen you and I, right? With power through his spirit. God's spirit is the source of dynamic power. It's actually the word power when used in the scriptures by authors like Luke in the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, and maybe even here I didn't check it out, so go check it out and see. Uh, the word for power was dunamis, means dynamic, or I like this word better, dynamite. Yeah, I, some of you just woke up. <laughs> I love doing that. It's so fun. You guys give me such joy. <laughs> Do it again. Dynamite, though. It's dynamite power. When you are connected to the Spirit of God, then the life-giving presence of God himself, it's pumped into you and then through you. 
It's pumped into you and then through you, right? The Spirit of God is the one who then tunes your heart. He tunes your heart to the Father's heart for you in Christ Jesus. Like the Bible, like we just said, is, is full of people who struggle with believing in God's power. Like think about the Israelites. And the Israelites would face down scores of enemies. And at the same time, they would witness the power of God in rescuing them. And then in the very next moment, what did they do? They'd give themselves over to worshiping false idols. The disciples, when they walked with Jesus every day, in the flesh, in person, they witnessed all of his miracles. But then like in the next moment, what did they do? And they abandoned Jesus at the crucifixion, right? They were inconsistent, ordinary people, just like you and I. Then if you would remember the day of Pentecost, if you're familiar with that, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, big bucket God takes and just pours himself in the form of his Holy Spirit out. And God's people are filled with power to be witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. In the upper room, when we look at this in, in the book of Acts, in the early chapters, <coughs> and we see weak, fearful disciples praying that God would empower them. And that's exactly what he does. He empowers them. What else could drive fearful, weak, ordinary men and women who were inconsistent at best, previous to the resurrection, to change the course of their lives and become witnesses of the power of the gospel, even in the face of death? Because, listen, facing death seems a lot harder than some of the momentary suffering that I face, right? The answer is only the Holy Spirit can do this. Only the Holy Spirit can be the source of true dynamite power in your life. Only the Holy Spirit can connect you to the life-giving presence of God himself. Only the Holy Spirit can tune your heart to God's heart for you. Only the Holy Spirit can help you to serve people you come into contact with. Your power comes to you through God's Spirit and then it works its way out, right? So pray that God would empower you and I to live in the power of his spirit when all of the fury of Satan, sin, and hell are tossed at us. Pray that your heavenly father would help you to believe in his power. Ask him to fill you with his power. Ask him to help you to live from the deep reservoir of his power. Finally, number four. <laughs> this may sound redundant and sound like the last one, but it is different, I tell you. If you're writing it down, number four, your power comes from the spirit within you. Previous to this, point number three was your power comes to you through the God's spirit. This is a slightly different focus. Your power comes from the spirit within you. Paul prays that you and I would be strengthened by the power of the spirit in your inner being. Like true power comes within you, but listen, it doesn't begin with you, okay? True power comes from within you, but it doesn't begin with you. Broken people, no matter how strong you are, and I like to think I'm a pretty strong guy. I am. My shirts are getting smaller. Anyways, broken people, no matter how strong you are, will always have a breaking point. But God, God is all-powerful. God is not broken. He doesn't have a breaking point. We're saying this today. In, in our songs of worship too. And God created everything. He split the waters. He kept people safe in fires. He fed people with manna from heaven daily. 
He destroyed the enemies of his people. He shut the mouths of lions. He used persecuted people to do powerful things. And that same God gave you and I his very own spirit to dwell within us. Question, if that same spirit lives inside of you, then what do you think will come out of you? If that same spirit lives inside of you, what will come out of you? What does the life of a spirit-empowered person look like? Could it really be as simple as the fruit of the spirit? Man, it seems so simple. It's tough, isn't it? What would happen if you began to believe that the spirit of God is actually loving, and joyful, and peaceful, and patient, and kind, and good, trustworthy and gentle and in control if you actually believe that about the spirit of god rather than being like oh i'm not loving enough right i'm not joyful enough rather than just focusing on you what if we just started focusing on god what if we just did that like that was a mind blower for me okay so if you see passion the passion is there because when i saw that i was like oh oh i've been coming at this the wrong way i've been beating the heck out of myself you need to just love people better you just need to be more patient yeah that's how do I do that? Oh, wait, God. God is this. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It makes tons of sense, right? The fruit of the Spirit alive in you. I need to believe that that is who God is deep down inside of my heart. I mean, don't we actually live what we actually believe anyways? I mean, I, there's that old saying, like, what is it? Um, something about your words um, being worth whatever, um, but you can show me what you actually believe by what you do, right? You tell me that you love me. Show me that you love me, though. Be better, right? If you believe in a powerful God, you'll live with the evidence of power in your daily life. And your power comes from the Spirit within you. So what do you now need to do? Pray for Heavenly Father. Help us to believe in His power. Fill us with His power. Help us to live from the deep reservoir of his power. The final question I would ask is, where do you see the power of God the most tangible? I think it's in the cross and the empty tomb. The cross and the empty tomb is the place where all the power of God becomes most tangible. In the cross and the empty tomb of Christ, we see God giving himself in love for us, right? We, saw, we see God giving himself with joy for his enemies. We see him making peace so that his enemies could become children. We see God enduring the torture of the cross with extraordinary patience. We see the kindness of God in the face of Christ as he hangs on the cross, asking the Father to forgive his enemies for their ignorance. We see the goodness of God at the cross where he takes all of the evil in the world and places it on the shoulders of his one and only dearly beloved Son. God does this so that we can taste, touch, and see the goodness of God in salvation from our sin. This is what God does. This is who he is. We see him faithful in the empty tomb, trustworthy in the empty tomb. We learn through the empty tomb that God will not leave us to eternal death. God has not left you there. He's, he's given you the gift. He's given you the opportunity in the gospel. See the sovereignty or the control of God in the cross and the empty tomb as well. None of that happened by accident. This is the power of God on display in the cross and the empty tomb of Christ. So pray for God's power to be made visible in you. Pray that God would help you to believe that he is powerful enough for you. 
pray that God would strengthen you according to the riches of his glory. Pray that God would grant you, not loan you, but grant you freely the strength to live with powerful endurance. Pray that God would empower you like he empowered all the other ordinary people throughout scriptures. Pray that God would empower you to live in the strength and the power of his spirit when all of the fury of Satan and sin and the world are coming against you. Pray that the presence of the living God within you would produce the fruit of his presence within you. Your power comes from the riches of God's glory. Your power is granted to you from God. Your power comes to you through the Holy Spirit and your power comes from the Spirit within you. So, pray. Pray that your Heavenly Father would help you to believe in His power, that He would fill you with His power, and that He would help you to live from the deep reservoir of His power. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would take this word that you would drive it deep within our hearts. Recognize and understand that the love within us is the power that drives us. So Father, I pray that deep down inside you would help us to see you for who you actually are, to love you the way that you've loved us, and then to live from the deep reservoir of that powerful love that we see in Christ at the cross. In Jesus' name, everybody said. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.